When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One final thought about the parade and the rally. Five million people attended. The next day, the papers said it was the seventh highest attended event in human history. Uh, the others were like pilgrimages to Mecca <laughs> a, a million years ago. And the thought occurred to me as I'm on the bus and we are driving through the streets, I have never seen that many happy people in one place at the same time in my entire life. It was a great, great experience. Legendary announcer Pat Hughes talking about the Cubs victory parade. And you know what? This episode, I think this is the right place, Matt, to really get everybody's account, yours and mine, of that feeling of elation. Here's here's a question, Matt. Is there another event in sports that could top this? What hasn't happened yet that you think could top what Pat just said? I don't think there is anything. Even really. if the Indians win the World Series. Indians winning the World no, Series. Good for them. You know, I'm sure that'll be very powerful <laughs> for Indians fans this was the last giant nationwide fan base that had not been served with a modern title. There are Cub fans everywhere. You are living testament to that. We've talked to other people who grew up on the West Coast, on the East Coast, who were Cubs fans. And through the century, everybody has kind of gathered together to share this communal, you know, sense of of being beaten down by fate and not being allowed to have the joy that everybody else gets to have. This was the end of that. And, and we all kind of knew it, you know, it was such a big moment and such a palpable moment. And not all of it is like totally great. There's like a whole mix of emotions because mixed in with everything, like all the joy is also the sadness of like, damn, my grandfather's not here. My grandmother is not here. My uncle is not here. They're gone. This didn't happen for them. And you got to come to terms with that. And also on the flip side is now we're just like everybody else. Everybody, everybody gets to win. Everybody gets to lose. <laughs> and it's time to move on and be judged in a normal way. We're just like everybody else in the best and some not-so-great ways. Know what I mean? Well, that's what this episode is about. We're going to reflect on that journey to realizing, ah, we're just like everybody else. I, I've used the Finding Nemo analogy before. That feeling of elation 
when the fish finally escape the dentist's office and they're out <laughs> and they're free. And then yes. they land in the water and realize they're still in plastic bags and go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We got to re-sign all of these guys. I don't know if we can keep this core together. Yeah, man, that stuff was not even a reality. That, that moment lasted a while. That Nemo swimming in a bag moment, which shouldn't be <laughs> as joyful as you make it sound, but is. It lasted a while. There's all but, sorts of emotions that go with it. Wait, but seriously, if the yeah. Bills finally won the Super Bowl, <laughs> you don't think it tops Cubs? How many Buffalo Bills fans are there in the state of Washington, in the state of Oregon? Like there are, I, I know that there is an arrogance for Cubs Nation that I may be giving some voice to, but really, because of GN and because of just the cuteness and the adoration of Wrigley Field, <laughs> you go there once and you're a, you're a fan forever. There are fans everywhere, man. You know, there are Yankee fans everywhere. You know this. What else? Cowboys, Lakers, you know, there's some... Big, bad franchises, behemoths that have fans everywhere. The Cubs were losers, but they still had fans everywhere. This whole episode, it's a clip show. We're going to, you know, reflect back on some of the previous guests that we've had, and they're going to give us their game, seven stories, and their account of everything that happened on the other side of Bryant to Rizzo in the bottom of the tent. I'll start in left center field, where... I saw a man bawling, just, we're talking about a man, he's 60, 70 years old, like this is one of those guys who, who's punched bullets and eats cigarettes when he doesn't have a lighter, like just a tough gentleman, and he's bawling, and I don't know who he's talking to on the other side of the phone, but all he keeps saying is, they did it, they did it. They did. And then I got shoved out the way by an Indians fan who was headed to the exit. A fair shove, too. Not even like a forceful, but just like, hey, man, get out of the aisle. It was it was a weird up and down emotions in the outfield stands because, you know, we had done a lot of drinking and the rain delay had made us a little nervous. And I'll say this. I've walked in the rain before. But that rain that started right after the Cubs won was probably one of the most enjoyable, beautiful moments. Like, it's the, it's the coming to America, someone to love, when, when Eddie Murphy's character realizes he's in love with this woman and he's just walking down the street happy and he doesn't care that all of New York City is cursing at him. It was that for me. And then I went straight to the airport smelling like rain. See, you were out there amongst the people, uh, Roy. That that is that is amazing because I haven't really even allowed myself to think about Indians fans, grumpy Indians fans who have to like then go through the process of leaving a ball game. All right, where's my car? Got to get to my car and drive out of there amidst amidst Cub fans like you who are celebrating the joy of a lifetime. It's crazy. I was trying to balance. Like all the whole week and really that whole day and that whole night trying to balance this like idea of being a professional journalist with being a little kid like, holy effing hell, the Cubs just won this thing. And now, okay, of course, this is my turn now. I have to go down and I go on the field. So I'm on the field after they win the World Series. And what am I doing there? I'm covering it but I'm a talk show host, so I don't really have any <laughs> jobs that I have to do. So let me look professional while also like shaking hands with people, while also accepting a hug 
from Crane Kenny, the president of business operations, who just sees me and hugs me because we've seen each other a little bit. And they just won the damn World Series. He's hugging everybody. So you, you know what but, I mean? So you accept hugs and handshakes while trying to maintain an air of professionalism, too, on the field. Don't you have to be back in the studio the next morning? How the hell are you getting out of Cleveland? Have you even figured that part of your equation out yet? I know that I have a seat on the plane. I don't know what that means, but I know that I have been promised a seat on the team plane. You know what that nice. means in my mind. In my mind, I am sitting between Schwarber and Rizzo. And I am, um, I, I am like, oh, here, I'll get that for you, Kyle. And I'm handing the vodka bottle down the line. I love right? that in your scenario, the Cubs team plane has a middle seat. <laughs> There's just a, a main cabin Spirit Airlines visualization of what you think air travel is for a professional baseball franchise, but continue. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because the truth is, I'm just thinking about a ballpark inside a plane, you know, well, just yeah. like, you know, just Roy, like three rows, three rows of section 12, just inside the plane. Is that how it works? When I think, when I think team plane, I'm thinking I'm in boarding group C and I'm sitting <laughs> next to Jorge Soler and we're both wondering if we're going to get a seat. Excuse me. This is my friend Jorge Soler. Would you mind swapping with some other? <coughs> <coughs> Would you mind swapping with someone else so me and my friend Jorge can sit together? Thank you so kindly. Appreciate that, right, Joe Madden. Right. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but I don't know how it works. So, yes, I know I got to be back the next morning in Chicago. It is in Cleveland. It is, what, 1130 at night, 12 o'clock at night, and I'm on the field. It starts to rain, as you mentioned. We all kind of go off to the side and, 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 and stay dry, but then come back out onto the field. And I didn't get to go in the clubhouse. There are people with incredible clubhouse stories who had that access and get in there and they see – you know, Bill Murray and Theo Epstein interviewing each other just more wasted than any humans are, are supposed <laughs> to be during the time of an interview. I just want to thank everyone who's ever put on a Cubs uniform, everyone who's ever rooted for the Cubs. It's been 108 years of love, support, and patience waiting for a team like this to make it happen on a night like this. And I couldn't be happier for thank it. Thank you. My mother thanks you. My father thank thanks you, you. My sisters thank you. My brothers thank you. I thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, Hope. Um, but, but for me, Roy, I know eventually I have to get back to Chicago. And I don't know exactly how this is all going to go down. I am following the lead of a couple Cubs executives who are kind enough to give me direction every once in a while. And at one point I hear, okay, everybody's done celebrating, everybody's done filing their things, doing their things. Um, walk to the buses. And I walk out of the stadium and over towards this little side street. And there are like nine buses for Cubs players, coaches, and employees. Because Tom Ricketts decided to fly out like hundreds and hundreds of Cubs infrastructure employees for game six and game seven. Bought tickets, flew them out, and made buses, made seats in the stadium for them, and provided the opportunity for them to see it. So there's like nine buses. 
I get on one of the buses. I'm told to get on one of the buses. This all took way longer than I'm describing, and I was freaked out, and it felt like it took a million years. Are fans out in this area, like, are there, like, fans near the buses cheering and yelling and all of that? Yes. There are fans, but I don't see players. So I assume that players are on a different bus or whatever, but I see all bunch of Cubs employees and people, some, a lot of people I don't know, but a few people I know, I'm like, oh, there's the ticket guy. Oh, there's the, the marketing guy. Oh, there's the operations guy. Some bosses like that, that I, that I know just a little bit. And so I get on one of the buses and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and there's an empty seat across the row and everybody's like, ah, we got to wait, we got to wait. And everybody's waiting. And I don't know who we're waiting for. About 10 minutes later, Carrie Wood and his wife come onto the bus and Carrie's wow. like, sorry, everybody. Sorry about that. <laughs> so everyone's like, okay, no problem. Your organization it's just won the World Wood. Series. You're probably enjoying yourself. We're okay. Long as we all make our flight. And, and we drove to the airport. And I mean, you're, you're big time, Roy. I know you've dr- ridden on a private jet before. I never even- Twice in my life. Once in 85 to Epcot with my father for a speaking engagement he had. And again, when Comedy Central flew us up to New Hampshire for the New Hampshire Republican primaries in 2016. Those are my two PJ experiences. That's awesome. That's it. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Well, this was mine, but I don't think it was the normal kind of private jet because this was the biggest plane I have ever seen in my life. Like this looked like... A 747 with another 747 on top of it. And it was one plane for all those buses, for eight, nine buses. Everybody got on one plane. And I don't know how, I don't know how it worked. It was like, it was like an ocean liner with wings, man. And, you know, you're on the tarmac and security is a table on the tarmac right there. And they're checking (laughs) our bags. And then there's an employee who turns around and holds a little W flag up at the bottom of a long staircase. And I took a picture of that. It's the only oh, picture I have nice. from the outside of the plane. And I walk up this super impossibly long staircase to the get onto this 80s. enormous plane. <laughs> the 80s yes. staircase with the truck attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I climb all the way up and I get onto this freaking ocean liner with wings And I look left and I see some revelers. I see people jumping up and down and I I feel like I smell champagne. And in my mind, I'm seeing a trophy. And then the person standing there says, go to your right. So I did not go to the left where the party was. I went to the right Mm -hmm. where the rest of us were. So and and it, it's just a, it's a big old plane, a lot of people there, and I still I don't know exactly how I got here, but here I am, and I go and I put my bag in an overhead and I sit down and I'm between a couple of different front office people, so my my dream of being amongst the players partying on the team plane, that part did not happen, sir. I'm here to tell you that it did not happen, and the reality is I'm sitting between a couple of office staffers, but. I'm walking to my seat or to a seat anywhere. And I see Jim Deshays, the TV color man who who's, he's always flies on the team plane. So there's Jim Deshays and his wife and JD looks at me and he does a double take. Like, what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) And he just gives me that look. And I say to him unprompted, I have no idea how I got here. And (laughs) JD says, JD gives me one of those classic baseball things. He goes, Atta baby. 
Atta baby. Like, Good job. Way to go, kid. <laughs> well, while you were doing that, I was trying to find my rental car, and I smelled like rainwater, and I was all alone, and I ended up at the Wendy's. The only Wendy's that I know for sure is open that time of night in Cleveland. And then I headed to the airport where I sat at my gate in full Cubs regalia waiting for my five. Well, first I sat in front of security, waiting for security to open. So while you were on a plane reveling, I was eating a Baconator in an airport terminal at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sounds like we both had the same experience. (laughs) So we get to Chicago and we get off that enormous plane on the tarmac and there's eight or nine buses right there. We all get in those buses and a police escort takes all these buses from O'Hare back to Wrigley Field. And sirens are going, and there are people. Somehow, Roy, there are people there, Still there. who understand. They understand that these buses are full of cubs, whether it's players or they don't know, but they know this is a police-escorted line of buses, and they're cheering at O'Hare. It felt like they were cheering when we got off the Kennedy at Addison, and they sure as hell were there cheering on Waveland when we pull up to Wrigley Field. And and and, and this police-escorted line of buses, and we all go into that that one parking lot that's on Grace there that that the team uses. And I'll never forget this. This is baggage check when you get off a, um, or this is baggage claim when you get off a plane like that, when you get off an ocean liner with wings, it's just a big pile of suitcases in the middle of the parking lot. And I'm looking around like, where's my suitcase? Is that it? I guess that's it. And I grab my suitcase. I walk over to Clark Street, call an Uber and get an Uber, go downtown it is 6.45 when I get into the office. I'm on the air at 9. I sat down and wrote a column about the Game 7 experience and then went on the air at 9 o'clock. I think my only sleep was that 20 minutes on the flight. But damn it, I got there. So thank you to that Cubs employee. And, and, uh, and, and, and I'm, just, I'm just glad I got there, man, because the next morning was just talking to people like we're going to talk to on this episode Everyone sharing their own story of Game 7 and winning the whole thing. That sounds fabulous. Meanwhile, I got through TSA security, and I was still wearing a bathrobe that stank of rainwater. And then I got on the plane, still wearing the robe because it was warm, and it was the only thing that I had as outerwear in November. And I landed in New York, and then I got a cab, and I went straight to work because work had already started by the time I landed, Matt. So I was at work smelling like victory in a stinking bathrobe and immediately went on television in it. I got to tell you how I got that bathrobe. We'll talk about that a little later. After the break, we're going to check in with a lot of people we've already spoken to on the run and get their accounts of what they were doing after Game 7. I want to start with Ryan Dempster, Matt, because he had clubhouse access, and I want to know what was going on down there in that dugout right after Bryant to Rizzo, bottom of the 10. It was amazing, you know, um, coming down that staircase, it was like, there was nobody in the 
staircase I ran down the tunnel to get to the clubhouse and spray champagne with Theo and Jed and all the boys and, you know, watching Rossi get carried off and, you know, sitting out on the field with Eddie and Bill Murray and, you know, just, you know, my wife. And we're just like all these just incredible moments. And then the bus ride to the airport with the, the dude with the LED screen driving next to us. And he's going back and forth between all the buses with the world champion sign. He's honking his horn. And then we're on the plane. And we're singing We Are the Champions at 30,000 feet and pulling into the fire hoses over top of us as we get in the hangar there. And then the carrying the trophy on the bus, like I'm sitting next to the trophy with Rizzo on the bus ride on the way back and then pulling up to the field. And, oh man, it was just amazing. <laughs> and then getting, getting home and telling my parents that I was going to take the kids to school. My dad looks at me and goes, Hey son, listen, man, I let you do a lot of things and just be your own man in life. But this is one thing that I think maybe you should stay home for. I don't think you should be showing up to your kid's school in this kind of shape. <laughs> It's a good call, Dad. Good Look at call. You being a good father right now, I got you. Teaching me life <laughs> lessons. And then, and then you know, just the magic of it all. When you drove down, you know, Lakeshore, and then you got off of Michigan Avenue. And I took the time, you know, I think maybe more so because I didn't play, I had a chance to really reflect. And I got to do that in Boston. And I, things that I wish I would have done, I said, if I ever get a chance again, I want to do... I just tried to like look and make eye contact with so many people. And you could see the tears, the smile, the joy. I mean, it was just this magical, unbelievable event. And somebody said one time, you know, like, hey, you know, this many people and the only other gatherings that were bigger than this were religious ones, you know, at the Vatican or something. I go, hey, let me tell you something right now. What we just witnessed was a religious experience. And so yeah. that's just what happened right there. Amen to that. See, that's amazing. And, and, and Roy, Ryan had the kind of experience on the team plane that I assumed I was going to have, that I, of course, did not. I think you got to actually play to sit next to those guys. But th that is as close as you can get. That is a beautiful firsthand account of being right there in the belly of the beast. I really think that it is... It's so awesome. And I don't know, is, is, are other franchises like this where once you've had a relationship with the team for as long as you're kind of still around the team, they like the, the fact that Dempster and Kerry Wood were still considered part of that family and part of that fold. It seems like there's this weird continuation of the family, like once a cub, always a cub. Like, I don't know, is it, is it like that for the Miami Marlins? <laughs> Can you just pull up? Could Chuck Carr have rode the the 2003 championship plane when the Marlins, was it 03? I don't, you know what I'm saying. I do. Yes, it was 03. Yeah, you're on it. Yeah. Could I, Charlie I think Huff have pulled up on the team plane? <laughs> I, I think I think that's true. Like when the Dodgers won, if like Bert Hooten just showed up, would he have been welcomed onto the Dodgers plane? I don't know. Uh. No, there, I think there's a special thing for the Cubs in, in that way. Um, yeah, because because you're right, man, because like Fergie Jenkins was there. Hop on, Fergie. Mm -hmm. Like and anybody, anybody who's there from any era, you're immediately uh, a part of it in, in that way. It, it, I love when Dempster and others give voice to like the multitude of feelings because it's like the laughing and the smiling going to the crying and just catching the eyes of, of all these different people. Well, obviously, we have to get some Bill Murray stories in because if Bill Murray's down there singing with Theo, um, I want to know more about that. And one person who has a Bill Murray story, a previous guest on the run, Sarah Spain. 
So my friend Craig, who manages to find himself in magical situations all the time, he's a real charmer. He uh, he was in the cornfield at uh, Field of Dreams this year in the middle of the game somehow, <laughs> was not allowed, and ended up finding himself wandering the corn mid-game. He decides to drive out for game seven, and he gets to his hotel room, which is in the hotel that the team had been staying in. And the housekeeping had been through, but they had missed a small piece of paper on the desk which was the lineup for the Cubs for Game 7 because the person that had been in his room was the first base coach for the Cubs, and he had left it behind. So so starts his Game 7 of of the magical moments, right? And after the game, we stay in the ballpark for as long as they allow us. We're getting poured on. We are determined for them to bring the trophy out, and they refuse because it's raining. It's very haphazard. They're doing some of the interviews in the dugout. Some of the players are coming on the field. But, like, because of the rain and because of the very early morning hours, um, it was not the standard World Series celebration, at least in person. I'm sure on TV it was magical. But so then they finally kick us out, and we're ready to party. The Cubs won the World Series, but we're in Cleveland. Okay, and nothing is open, nowhere to go. So we pass by a pizza place. We stop the Uber. We hop out and we tell them that we need to buy all of the beer that they have. And they're like, oh, we're not a bar. And we're like, we don't care. So we just buy like two cases of beer that are in the back that are not for sale and a bunch of pizzas. We hop back in the Uber. We go to the lobby of the hotel, which our friend was staying at and said, this is where we should go. This is where the players were. And like my ESPN brethren said, oh, we'll be, we'll be in that lobby there. So we decided to just, we put, we, someone grabs the speaker. We start a big party in the lobby. We're drinking the beers and eating the pizza. Tom Ricketts comes down and starts leading chants, uh, you know, <laughs> Sage Steele and Pedro Gomez and everybody else is around and Eduardo Perez so we're partying and Bill Murray comes through. I've met Bill a couple of times. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He is moody, I would say is the best word. Like he is either the most fun you'll ever have or you will feel like the worst person for even looking deep into his eyes or addressing him at all. That's just, that's just like Roy for the record. Yeah, Roy's a real guy. dick sometimes. <laughs> no, so I'm wearing a shirt that says party like it's 1908. And I see him, I'm Bill, we won. We this big hug, we take a photo together. He's dancing, he's partying. And then a colleague of mine goes, oh, that was great. Like, so I could go, I'm like, yeah, he seems like he's in a good mood. Go say hi. So he goes and walks up to Bill, who's now sitting at a table by himself with a friend. And Bill's like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm trying to enjoy my, we're like, okay, all right, never mind, just kidding. So now we're like, all right, mood changed. Like he's, and so he decides to leave. But my husband and, and Craig, the aforementioned guy who always finds the magic, was like, we got to find Bill. And so people try to go in the elevator to figure out. And Craig goes, wait, I know what floor he's staying on. And we're like, what? So he hops in a different elevator. Bill's on an elevator with people. So he's got a couple stops along the way. Craig just hits 20. And my husband's like, how do you know where he is? How do you know where he is? He goes, he was on the radio station today complaining about how they upcharged the rooms once it got forced to game seven and he was going to leave. But then the room number they gave him was 2016. And he was like, it's a sign. I'm going to stay. So I know he's staying in room 2016. So they get to the 20th floor. They leave the elevator, empty hallway, and they're just standing in the elevator when finally Bill all alone pops out thinking he's escaped everyone. And they're like, hey, Bill, look, can we get a photo? And he was like, what the hell? I heard you on the radio. And he was like, all right, all right. He's back to his good mood because he thinks it's, you know, entrepreneurial that they found him. Um, But it just, just so much fun. And, and like, 
you know, we we know those those dudes, the the vetters and the and the bills and the Cusack. We know that they're true diehards that are there all the time. So to share it with them is cool. <laughs> you have to respect when someone tracks you down. I understand that there's a stalker element to that. However, you have to respect. Now, I'm not the type of celeb where people are coming and hunting me down and looking, you know, trying to overhear which room I'm staying. Like, I don't have to check in under a code name. Give it time, Roy. Give it time, man. It's a big year for you. I can feel it, brother. You know what's crazy? As much as I've gone to Wrigley, I've never met Bill Murray. I can't even, I don't even think I've ever seen Bill Murray in 3D. Yeah, I, I've seen him walk by me. His brother, Brian Dore Murray, and I are pretty good friends. We were co-stars on a TBS sitcom a while back, and we've always gone to Cubs games together. I'm friendly with Joel, who is a wonderful guy and a hardcore Cub fan, and I've sung some backup with Joel. So I'll take Joel. You can have Brian Doyle, and I'm jealous. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll take Joel as we acquire Murray's throughout the course of the run. We have more stories from Game 7 and from the celebration, the next couple stories involve fathers and their kids, which is a huge part of all this, the generational love for Cubdom. And even though these guys, these folks were not part of the series, they sent us in some stories and really wanted you guys to hear this. This is Chris Hayes of MSNBC, a huge Chicago sports fan. His dad is from Chicago. And he also famously in the spring of 2016 had said that he would gladly trade a Donald Trump presidency if it meant that the Cubs win the World Series. So he's the one. It was worth it. So I had gotten into the habit uh, during the World Series even before then of having the game on in a huge screen TV in my studio uh, while I was actually broadcasting so I could keep one eye on it. Then I would hustle into a car where I would stream the game on my phone and then I would go and watch the, you know, second half of the game or second two thirds at a a bar in Gowanus called Canal Bar, which is kind of a Chicago sports bar. And so uh, the night of the seventh game, I was there. Kate, my wife, was there. My brother, Luke, my dad, who's a lifelong Cubs fan and from Chicago and actually the person who raised me a Cubs fan, his sister, uh, my Aunt Sheila. We were in this bar, Canal Bar. It was so packed and it was so hot from how many people were in there. The sound system kept shorting out. I think it was just like getting overheated. And so the sound would go out. But we were all in there and pretty good vibes, you know, for most of the game. And then, of course, Rajay Davis hits the home run off Chapman, ties the game up, complete, total silence, desultory devastation. And then the rain starts and they bring out the tarp. And I just am like, I can't watch. They're going to lose, obviously. And I cannot be around other people to watch them lose. It's going to be too much and too painful and too like embarrassing how heartbroken I will be in front of everyone. <laughs> so I go, we go outside and I call an Uber and I tell Kate, like, let's just go home and watch the rest of the game at home. I can't, I can't be here for this. And my dad like puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I just, and then he says something about the myth of Sisyphus, which is, uh, you know, the Camus essay and book uh, about the sort of joy of the struggle, which is one of my dad's sort of touchstone moral texts and also a good description of life as a Cubs fan. And at that moment, 
the game starts back up just as the Uber is going to get there. And my dad just kind of like, come on. And I, I cancel the Uber, go back in. I come in, I think, as Schwarber gets this, I think the single to lead off the inning, or I don't know if it was zero outs when he got the, the single. but And it's rocking again. And then the moment, you know, the moment when Bryant feels the grounder and throws the first. And, the, and I remember in real time seeing the, the smile on his face and just complete incredible ecstasis, screaming, everyone hugging each other, all these strangers in the sweaty bar. We will spilled outside to drink Malort and sing Go Cubs Go. And it's one of the great moments of my life. Ah, Sisyphus. There we are. Cub fans pushing a boulder up a hill for a century. <laughs> and um, got to tell you, Roy, here in 2021, the boulder feels like it's back at the bottom uh, right now. But, you know, everybody's going to push. And uh, maybe next year, that boulder gets a little <laughs> bit higher towards the top. You get all the way to the top and you just think, and then it falls back down. Well, here's a story, Roy, from Jessica Smetana of the Dan Lebitard Show. It's such a great show and podcast. Really smart and funny sports reporter is Jessica from Chicago. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll see that she goes back home for games all the time. This is her story about her father and Game 7. Take a listen. In my parents' basement just outside of Chicago hangs a Wrigley Field bleacher seat. You'd never know from looking at it. It's just a thick rectangular chunk of wood with peeling dark green paint and three white lines in the corner. But this bleacher seat was smuggled out of Wrigley Field in the summer of 1987 by my dad and his friend after a Cubs-Cardinals game. The seat, my dad says, had been broken before they arrived that day and they decided it was a piece of history worth carrying home before making stops at Murphy's and Slugger's. When one Cardinals fan noticed the two of them carrying the seats under their shirts out of gate end, my dad's friend told him, you could never have this in St. Louis with those plastic seats. This interaction was chronicled in Lonnie Wheeler's 1987 book, Bleachers, A Summer in Wrigley Field. Turns out the Cardinals fan they heckled was attending the game with a journalist. My dad saw the two seats in half and he kept seat 111 and his friend took seat 110. Seat 111 has hung in our basement through decade after decade of heartbreaking Cubs baseball. Until 2015, when one day my dad decided to take the bleacher seat down from the wall during the games as a sort of good luck charm. As the Cubs kept winning games, he kept taking the seat down to hold while watching and a superstition was born. Even though 2015 ended in sadness, the superstition continued in 2016. For every single game, he'd take the seat down from the wall and hold it while watching the Cubs play. I moved to New York in 2016, which is terrible timing for a Cubs fan who had lived in Chicago for her whole life to move, and received Snapchat updates from my sister, who was watching the games at home with my dad during the rest of that year's playoff run. During Game 7, while I was at a Cubs bar in Manhattan, my dad was pacing the basement with seat 111. After Joe Madden pulled Kyle Hendricks, my dad threw his prized bleacher seat on the ground in despair. The next Snapchat I received from my sister was a photo of him anxiously sweeping up the pieces of splintered wood from our carpeted floor. Then, after Cleveland tied the game up, he hung the bleacher seat back on the wall, thinking that maybe its good luck had run out. After the festivities of that night were over, the bleacher seat was super glued back together, and it remains on the basement wall, waiting to be taken down for another playoff run in the future. Maybe in another 108 years. Only in baseball is vandalism considered sentimental. <laughs> there's, there's a sentiment 
to, yeah, I ripped that out of the concrete and took it home with me. Because, damn it, I deserved it. Right? And then I destroyed it in anger, but I refused to throw it away because things Mm -hmm. got patched up. And then I'm going to post the evidence of my vandalism on the wall and share the stories with everyone. It's like only in baseball can you do that. There's no one with a basketball seat on their wall. (laughs) There's no football seat. No, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's really... It's baseball alone like that. Man, it, if your fandom is generational, then you want it to include those other generations when people win. And if they're not around, you do whatever you have to do. I will always think of this one news story that I saw during the run and during the World Series, which was an older guy, about a 65-year-old guy, who every playoff game took his phone and would listen on the MLB at bat app, the world's best app, would listen to the game, listen to Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer on the MLB at bat app at the site of his father's grave. Every single game he drove to his father's gravestone, set up his picnic chair and sat there with a couple beers and snacks and a blanket as the weather turned and listened to every single game with the grave. And that's just how he experienced the whole thing. Cause he wanted to feel as close as he possibly could. And, and it's, I mean, think about it. And that's when sports becomes immortality like that, right? Yeah. Sports fandom becomes immortality in a very special and unique way. It's got to suck if the next grave over was a Cardinals fan though. I don't know. If <laughs> well, you should have thought better. You should have thought better about buying his plot. You know, you got to be careful <laughs> about that stuff. Jeremy Piven, actor, you know, we know him from Entourage and the movies and his new podcast, How You Live in Jay Piven, a uh, big Cubs fan. I love this story because his, his Game 7 story shows the length to which Cub fans will go. Unfortunately and ironically, during the World Series, I was – filming with Jamie Foxx and we were filming night shoots. So it was like torture. So the night they won, we're filming and I would have crew members coming over to me and telling me, and it was just this. And by the way, as you guys know, the game lasted forever. And it lasted so long that um, by the time we wrapped, I sprinted down the street to this pub. And so I'm on Sunset Boulevard just losing my mind alone on the street, <laughs> getting into my car and just, just, I mean, it was, it was, it was surreal, but amazing, you know? Yo, that's one of the unsung things about crew is that if it's a key game happening, there's at least one person on crew whose unofficial job it is, is to keep everybody else abreast of the score. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just whisper the score. Right. To two and a seventh. He just brought in Chapman. But uh, I'll be right back. Uh, and right. action. You, yeah. You, you, uh, you guys ready? Rolling. And then you're about to go, and the guy's like, your boys are down. Action. And I'm like, where am I? What the fuck? I mean, talk about an artistic cock block. I mean, like, suddenly you can't remember your lines. You don't know where you are. There's, yeah, it was, it was, but this the idea that, it was still going on when we rapped was insanity. Did you get a chance to see it in that pub on Sunset? You know what? I, I, I saw, I, I got to see the final play. I sprinted over there 
and there's a little pub called Rock and Riley's on Sunset Boulevard, and 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 I got to stand, you know, like, and it was all open, and and I saw, you know, the last play, and I just couldn't believe it. So it was kind of a, I felt like it was a miracle, and it was incredible, and yeah, I'll never forget it. It's episode 10, and we are recapping the way everybody celebrated Game 7. It's The Run. We'll be back with more in a minute. You are back listening to The Run from MLB and Odyssey, episode 10, where we're running down Game 7 stories. So many good ones. And Joe Madden had a wonderful conversation with me and Roy or we had a wonderful conversation with him. Um, and this is from that conversation, Roy getting inside Joe's head in regards to game seven. So on the other side of that World Series win, as you come back down to earth, were you all even aware of what else was happening in the world, just in terms of there being a presidential election a week later, <laughs> like right after that? Yeah. Yeah, because I got a call from Obama. <laughs> you did? What? Yeah, I did. Well, just flex on yeah. me. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah, right. I just did. <laughs> we, we haven't talked to him. We, we haven't talked to him. The, the ask is out. How'd that go? How'd that call go? Oh, and I'm sitting, you get like this. I can't remember what it said on my phone because it wasn't a number, of course. It didn't even say private number. It said something else. And so I'm, I'm walking around my apartment looking out at the lake and, uh, and there's uh, President Obama uh, just discussing what had happened. And I had been in his company before, 2009, All-Star Game in St. Louis. Uh, I had to greet him as he walked in the door in the clubhouse. <laughs> he mentioned something about my glasses, and that's how it began. And every time I've seen him, also, obviously, in the White House later, and we've had easy conversation. But uh, very complimentary, of course, uh, Mrs. Obama, big Cubs fan. Big Cubs fan, so that was relayed also. And listen, anytime you get a, a call from the sitting president of the United States, uh, obviously something good had just happened normally. And it was it was pretty special and uh, very easy conversation with that man. Was um, Were you comfortable at the rally and the parade? That's the largest group of people, you know, outside of a pilgrimage to Mecca, I think, that has ever been gathered. That's That was a pretty daunting day, wasn't it? That was our version of the Hajj right there. Yeah. Um, I have a photograph. Greeny, uh, our team photographer there, took a picture of me on stage from behind. So all you see is number 70, uh, my hat on, and uh, I think my hands are in my pocket. I think I had my oranges uh, bands on. And you're looking out at the, I call it Cubstock, right? It's Cubstock. Uh, and I, I really, because I've always had an appreciation with Woodstock and Richie Havens, being the dude that started, uh, got up there and they pushed him up there and all of a sudden there he goes. Uh, but weirdly, regarded, I don't know how many people were there. I know that's conjecture, but it was a lot. I could never have been more calm in front of that many people. And I thought to myself, this is weird. Um, and I don't even know if it was like, you're just so exhausted. Uh, you can't get uptight or nervous at all. Or um, if something had been earned and you felt really good about it. Mm. But it's also this group of people that were there just to celebrate all of you guys. So it was, it, oh, that's, that's, you know, one of those unforgettable things in your life to stand up there and look out there and be able to slow it down to the point mentally take snapshots 
and, and be calm in the moment to the point where you could actually enjoy it. So I, I was there doing the radio show and we we're broadcasting the rally live, Roy. So I'm like 300, 400 yards from the stage or whatever. And just in the middle of this crazy pack of people, I'll always remember Travis Wood, who was drunker than anybody and wearing an army jacket with no shirt on <laughs> underneath. Oh, that, that was right. That, that was big. And Anthony Rizzo cried. I remember Anthony Rizzo crying and talking about Ross and, and a big moment is when Rizzo pulled the ball out of his pocket. He'd saved the ball from the final out. And in this moment, he gave it to Tom Ricketts. It was some powerful stuff. That's the wrong person to give it to. You should have just kept it for yourself, dog. That ball's going to be <laughs> worth millions. You just gave a million dollars to a millionaire. <laughs> Every single person that has worn this jersey, I feel like won the World Series with us today or the other day. Dempster, Kerry Wood, um, Ernie Banks, who... who is looking down, smiling so so bright right now. Um, Billy Williams, Ronnie Sano, it's just every single player that's still living too has, has been a big reason we're here and a big part of this and we thank them. And Rossi, David Ross is the one who got the crowd going, got everybody going, and then he told them he was gonna take a selfie and took an amazing selfie with the crowd behind him. Um, but he got everybody involved. We were all photobombing David Ross's selfie. You know what? We actually have some of uh, Ross talking about Game 7. Last episode, we, you know, we heard from David Ross about the home run and the pass ball and the, uh, excuse me, the wild pitch because it wasn't Ross's fault, but it is his fault that he fell on his behind. But he made up for it. But here's a bit more from David Ross on the aftermath of the win. It was a lot. It was a special, special time. I felt like we didn't stop partying till, uh, you know, maybe that parade ended. It, it, it was a, a good three or four day uh, party. It was a lot of fun. It was Travis Wood the only one with his shirt off? Why didn't you take your shirt off? Tra well, listen, I'm the only one that should not. I, I definitely need to keep my shirt on at all times. But um, Travis, Travis has always got his shirt on. That's just, it's just true Travis is. It's like the fact that the fact if he would have had a shirt on, I think it wouldn't have represented him the right way. Well, man, you connected with people in, in a way that, that carries on. And, and Chicagoans, like, are, are you conscious of it? Do you get reminded of it? I know you're in a very different place with a different kind of team and a different kind of role. But, you know, um, Chicagoans feel you, feel that connection forever with you. Yeah, yeah I, people are so nice to me. This city's been so great to me. I am in a different place now. And, and I think one day, a long ways away, all that will come back. And I've had so many great moments and done so many great things because of that World Series. And um, people are special and really nice to me. And, and, and the city is, has been, I can't tell you, for a backup catcher, the way I get treated in that city uh, <laughs> is really special. But I think the magnitude of all that, whenever everybody's done playing and, and we're able to come back and celebrate that when everybody's retired and enjoy that, then maybe it'll settle in a little bit more. But I think a lot of guys from that group, myself included, we're, we're, we're still pushing forward, trying to do more, trying to win more, trying to have guys are still trying to have longer careers, trying to win more championships. I'm doing the same now and trying to focus on, on how to be better uh, for myself and this organization. So 
As much as I appreciate it, I think we'll appreciate it even more uh, when we have time to sit back and relax and really, really uh, listen to your full podcast. He's so gracious. I don't, I don't know how to put it. Like there, there seems to be a degree of humility with him and Madden in the sense of yes, this was iconic, this was amazing, and we enjoy it, but. Also, yes, we did it. Like, to still have the reservation to keep his shirt on. <laughs> you got to respect that just a little bit. But to be fair, I bet you in Boston, I bet you he took his shirt off when he won in Boston. That's what we should have asked him. You can ask him on the 10th anniversary. I mean, this is, <laughs> we're, the, we're the first ones to do this, Roy. It's five years since the Cubs won this thing. And we're the first ones to kind of put together a retrospective on this. And, and Ross is right. Guys are still going. I mean, Anthony Rizzo made the playoffs with the Yankees. Jorge Soler was hitting leadoff for the Braves. Kyle Schwarber is killing it with the Red Sox. The San Francisco Bryants made a very nice run <laughs> this year. All, all, these, all these dudes are out there still trying to do their thing. And they don't let themselves pause and get nostalgic like you and I have been able to do these last several weeks. No, not in the least. And the other thing that David Ross, and this is how you know David Ross is a completely selfless person. That was Tuesday night, the Cubs won. By Saturday, he is in New York City at 30 Rock, preparing to be on Saturday Night Live. He wasn't alone there at SNL. Um, And the woman who wrote that sketch she is the diehard Cub fan, Katie Rich. We spoke to her back in episode three. Hi, this is Katie Rich. And when I was working at SNL, um, SNL has a long tradition of having the World Series champions appear on Weekend Update. And when the Cubs won, this was no exception. And this is sort of a last minute thing because obviously the team has just won and there's so much going on and there's so many appearances. And so... It was kind of a crazy week um, in trying to figure out who from the Cubs was actually going to be on Weekend Update. And Carrie Powers, who is a talent booker extraordinaire, she was at the helm of that. And every day, like on the hour, she would give me updates of like, we think it's going to be this person. We think it's going to be this person. When we finally found out that it was going to be um, Dexter Fowler, David Ross, and Rizzo, um, I was very, very excited, obviously. And we really didn't find out until Saturday the update team kind of had to put together before the show what exactly that appearance was going to look like. And we knew that Bill Murray was probably going to be a part of it. And so they were essentially going to um, be singing Go Cubs Go. And we were going to need backup singers um, to round out the, the appearance. And Luckily, the wonderful humans that I worked with uh, were like, I think Katie should do it. And I was like, I think Katie should do it too. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy. I had to go to a rehearsal and these were actual wonderfully trained singers. And I am a garbage person who sounds like a dying, a dying parrot, even when I'm talking, let alone singing. So they were like trying harmonies and things like that. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> we, we did like a little rehearsal and I had to get into wardrobe and everything. And 
when it came time, when it came time for the live show, I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I will never forget, um, Dana Carvey was also on Update that week. And I had worked with him earlier. He was in the writer's room earlier and we were, you know, working together on his update, his um, church lady uh, bit. And at the time when I was in the writer's room, of course, I'm dressed in writer's gear, which is like, you know, sweatshirt, jeans. Um, And then suddenly I was in this like lovely blue dress and I had my makeup done and everything. And he was like, you're like Superman. I didn't even recognize you. And that was what I heard before they were like, go on stage, go. And there were cue cards with the lyrics to Go Cubs Go, which I did not need. Uh, But everyone else did, including Anthony Rizzo. I noticed he needed those cue cards. uh, What song is it that you'll be performing? It's an original composition entitled Go Cubs Go. Baseball season's underway. Well, you better get ready. It's a brand new day. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are gonna win today. But what I thought was so funny were these lovely professional singers were like, if you don't know what to do, just turn to Katie. Um, if you don't know the words, because she she certainly does. So to be the best in the national league. But this is the year the Cubs are real. So come on down to Wrigley Field. We're singing Go Cubs Go. It was pretty amazing to get to do that, especially when I wasn't able to be in Chicago for the actual World Series. So it was kind of like I I brought the Cubs to me in a way. So I will ever forever be grateful to everyone who made that happen. And then afterwards, I got to meet everybody and, you know, they were so kind and, and generous and lovely and they were just so happy to be there, I think. Um, but at that point, I think everyone, especially Rizzo, was pretty partied out. And then at the after party, we kind of sat at their table and at one point, I think Rizzo and his whole crew were like, we got to go. We're done. We've been doing this all week. And they left like open bottles of Dom, which myself and my raccoon friends were like, uh, yeah, we're going to drink leftover Dom. But uh, yeah, it's probably one of the things I see before I die. I hope it was wonderful. You know, what's nice about that, Roy, is that you get a little taste for what those people were like, what those players were like, their vibes around then. And they were all really, really kind and likable and accessible. That core was really young and fun. And that whole sense of like happiness and the beginning of a dynasty, hopefully, ideally, was the thought, was obvious around the whole thing. Good vibes, good vibes around all those people at the time. I'll say this in regards to what Katie was speaking to about SNL. Like, you know, if the Cubs went on a Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, the show is already starting to congeal for what they're going to do on Saturday. So to deviate from that and to have the Cubs on, like, that's, that's, it's not an easy feat from a production standpoint. Which is also why we couldn't have the Cubs on the Daily Show the next day, because it was too soon, and I'm sure they were all still sitting on the plane hungover. So what happens on the flip side when you on have the been other there? Side. 
So I come back to New York, still in the Cubs road, still smelling like Cleveland rainwater. And as I'm walking down the street, people are again cheering, tooting their horn at me. I felt, dare I say, handsome for a brief moment. And I get to work and, you know, there's there's a shot of me. You can find it online, but I'm holding up a sign that said losers no more. And I made that from a marker and a poster board that I'd brought into the stadium. But I said, if they win, I'm going to make a sign. And then I'd thrown the sign away uh, when we left because it started raining. And, you know, poster, it, it just crumbled in my hand. So they go, where's the sign? I go, I don't have it. You didn't keep the sign. Well, you've got to make a sign, and we need to send this this robe to the dry cleaners <laughs> so you can wear it tonight on the show. And I go, I'm not washing this robe. This robe is history. Everything that's inside this robe is part of what makes this robe the robe. And I'm not going to let you ruin that with detergent. One thing I really loved last night was seeing all the news and the pictures of Cubs fans celebrating. They were so happy, so relieved. You know, they were they were so look. I mean, like, look at this guy. Wait, is, can you zoom? Is that is that Roy Wood Jr.? <laughs> You're damn right. That's it what, is oh, African. it's Roy Wood. Oh, it's Roy Wood Jr. And so you know, we went on and we did a quick little uh, segment on the show. Our number one Cubs fan, fresh from Cleveland, man. I can't believe it. Roy was actually at the game. I can't believe you came to work. I can't believe you're still wearing the same robe. This is amazing, Roy. You are back in New York, Roy. You can, you can put the sign down, man. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously for TV, you know, we just it up a little bit. But yeah, the robe was very wet. Like, that wasn't a joke. We did add a little water to the robe for TV. But I was like, no, I'm not washing this robe. It's, it still has the rainwater. And Trevor's like, that's disgusting. And I'm like... No, that's the essence of the robe. And he went, well, that's what we're going to do for the segment. It's just the fact that you're so in love, you're disgusted. By the way, I hate to bring this up, but what is that smell? Oh, man, it's the lucky robe. I ain't washed it in a year. I was riding all over the game, man. I had it on last night, fellowshipping with complete strangers. Plus, when that storm hit, this is the best part, man. That rainstorm started coming around the ninth inning. This robe sucked up all the water, and I brought it back as a souvenir. Look at this right here, man. That is authentic Game 7 precipitation. Oh, yeah, man. I'm ringing this out. I'm going to sell this for a grand an ounce on eBay, man. This is concentrated victory. Boy, go and hit you some of that. Hit that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good, Roy. I'm good. That's perfect. And, and that was representation, man. There, there it was. There was a Cubs fan uh, right there on Comedy Central with the robe and the presence and the vibe and the stench and the filth uh, direct from Cleveland. It was beautiful to see. And then the very next day, we were going to send you out on the campaign trail because the election is in five days. It was a cruel cap to that <laughs> euphoria, man. I just we I remember getting smacked five days later and and thinking, and I still think of it that way, like, well, we had those five days. Yeah, and I mean it really was a beautiful thing. And to see it broken up, to see the boulder roll back down the hill this year. Of course it's disappointing. But, you know, something that Theo Epstein said to us earlier in the um, in these episodes is kind of stuck with me. The fact that, you know, you haven't had a repeat World Series winner in a long time. But, you know, it's been almost 20 years and you start thinking like a front office guy after a while and you go, well, 
what small pieces can we get to, you know, hopefully get the boulder back up the hill again. And, and what we see in the postseason is the craziness, the randomness, the happenstance that like stands in the face of what you've learned over 162. Like you can be built for 162 games, but come to playoffs, little things can happen. And the chaos it takes to have the run go as successfully as it does in a given year for anybody, it's just so special and so precious and so unpredictable. And that's what I'm reminded of as we're doing this is just how improbable the whole Cubs thing was. And I got to tell you, the whole year while it was going on, it felt sort of inevitable. Like, this is the time. This is the crew. This is the group that does it. This is how it happens. But really, when you think back on it, it's insane that it actually happened. As good as they were, it's still crazy that it actually all came together, isn't it? I have to say, Matt, over the over the course of this, this limited series that I've been able to do with you, it is change my scope of what this championship meant to me and what I believe, you know, championships mean to sports fans. And and I think that there is a selfishness that I have to let go of as a sports fan to want more and more and more trophies and more trophies. One is all you need. to. You only need to get the boulder up the hill one time to know I've done it, I could do it, it was worth it, Rudy. It was worth all the bullying in middle school when I used to wear my stupid Andre Dawson shirt and all of the Braves fans would tease me because the Braves were better. And it so like at the beginning of this episode one between you and me, I was very much in a mindset of we should have done more. We didn't do enough. We didn't do it. But I don't think anyone that we spoke to had any deep feelings of regret that they didn't get two or that we didn't get three or that we didn't keep the core together. And I definitely went from wanting more to just being happy that we got the one because it may never wow. happen again. Because if you have all of those pieces, you could, we could still have all of those pieces in place. And like you said, could find out one year that you're built for 162. And there's so many other variables that that play into these things, you know? Wow, that is that is a gift that you got there. I mean, for you, I, I, I certainly didn't give it to you. The process of doing this gave it to you. Because look, man, I know a lot of fans who feel that sense of like ravenous hunger and kind of an unsettling feeling of, man, it should have been more, when's the next one gonna come? And if you got to that sort of calm place, a little bit by the end of this, then I think everybody should host a 10 part podcast on, on the run because that maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that's what it takes to, to sort of reinterpret it and get it back into your soul. Cause it, we forget it. We do forget it. Well, I will say this, man, it has been fun to sit and walk down memory lane with you and your perspective on this, just as a fan and as a broadcaster and how you were able to toe the line between the two constantly in one of the most exciting, the most exciting year in Chicago sports history. It's been a pleasure to get this perspective. It's been a pleasure to help 
get access to all of these wonderful, wonderful people within the Cubs universe because of your connections, not my own. I DM'd <laughs> David Ross one time in 2015, and he never replied. But that's a conversation for another day. Roy, this has been such a pleasure, man, because... Look, I, I I was closer to this World Series than any sporting event I've ever been close to. You know what I mean? And to get a chance to process it with you, who was, as you had said, living it from afar whenever you did not get the chance to come in close. I feel like, man, I, I, you, you have brought me a whole lot of perspective to me and to this. That has been incredibly valuable and you're fun as hell to chop it up with. So we got to mm-hmm. do this again and again and again and again, please. Well, this has been the run from MLB and Odyssey. And sadly, for the last time, I bid you goodbye. I need Ernie Banks stories that you might have got from your dad. Can we do another podcast of that? The Run is a production of Odyssey in partnership with Major League Baseball. Jody Avergan of Roulette Productions is our executive producer. Justin Kaufman is senior producer. Mixing by Joanna Ketcher at Nice Matters. Our theme song is a cover of Steve Goodman's Go Cubs Go by Chicago's very own The Hood Internet. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley and Mike D. at Odyssey and Nick Trotta at Major League Baseball. Mitch Rosen, Dustin Hapley, and Russ Matera and everybody else at 670 The Score. Also to everyone at Odyssey and Major League Baseball who helped make this happen. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word. That was our final episode of The Run. Thanks so much for joining us.